Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right, all right. Good morning, all you Cafe Bitcoiners, the hardcore that get in here <laughs> from the very beginning. Uh, good morning, Dom Bay. Good morning, Noodle Ant. Morning, Wicked Jacob. Good morning, guys. What up, y'all? Beautiful morning. Oh my God, Noodle, get better internet. Isn't it a beautiful morning? There he is. Yeah, it's a beautiful morning, man. It's evening for you. Are you over on the other side of the pond there? Yeah, uh, if you call three p.m. evening, then yeah, potentially for some um, afternoon, really. Okay. Well, um, what is going on with the Bitcoin price right now? Somebody explain this to me. There are. Fewer people that want dollars than people that want Bitcoin. People trying to get that Bitcoin before BlackRock get it off them. Yeah, man. Sailor tweeted this morning that this might be the last time I saw. I'm paraphrasing. I'm probably getting this wrong, but something along the lines of might be the last time you confront run the institutions in Bitcoin. Let's go. As Ant would say, clubs better hurry the hell up. I don't know what y'all are waiting for, to be honest. I ain't waiting. I say that for the new people, like the people who are on the fence, people who are looking at that, you know, they come into this room or they listen to this podcast and they're like, hmm, what's going on here? These guys are a little odd. Why are they so excited all the goddamn time? What's wrong with these people? I don't even know if there's any more Bitcoin to, to get after. Um, apparently, Sky News reported Andrew Tate had um, over 21 million Bitcoin seeds. So I, I don't know what we're fighting for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Romanian, Romanian regulators have seized 21 million Bitcoin from Andrew Tate, according to the, the latest. I mean, if you're going to get your news spot. from Sky News, and you, you got to kind of just expect that quality of journalism, really. Okay, for people who are new and just figuring out Bitcoin, why is this impossible? Because there's only ever going to be 21 million, and um, there's a fair few million of uh, of those coins that are that are gone and never coming back, and a fair couple of million that don't yet exist in circulation. That's Though not many, not many million. Uh, I mean, how just many are left behind? Just a couple million left. Even less. I will also point out that, by the way, this is a common thing now that you see 
common, in my opinion, where a government or some media who doesn't understand what the hell Bitcoin is will claim that a government has seized somebody's Bitcoin. Guys, if, if, if the Bitcoin is in self-custody, that is literally impossible without your own cooperation. It just shows you when, when, when you know about a topic, kind of, you know, when you've got enough knowledge on a topic or, or more than the, you know, the, the average person, it, it just makes you realize how bad journalism is. And that's with something that you're kind of clued up with, with topics that you're not clued up with. Just imagine how bad the journalism is for that. But, but this one just kind of, yeah. It's okay. It, it's, it's okay. Laughable. Screw the, screw those people. We're the news now, by the way, that song, uh, that we play every morning, Cantillionaire's Game. Is that the name of the song? I believe it is Cantillionaire's Game. Let me look just to be absolutely certain. Yes, Cantillionaire's Game by Tip NZ. We've got Tip NZ coming on the show on July 13th. Jacob's been working, working at that for a long time, doing the Water on Rock method, Persistence Beats Resistance. Let's go. Tip NZ also has a new track coming out, uh, I think, like, within this week or next week on Banks versus Bitcoin. We'll be sure to play it when it drops. All right. Good morning, BJ Dichter. What's up, man? Good morning, brother. I'm looking for those articles in the CBC during our convoy when they uh, declared that the government of Canada has successfully blocked... Uh, Bitcoin donations to the Freedom Convoy. I'm guessing it's the same people who are, uh, are claiming that Andrew Tate is uh, Satoshi Nakamura. So, um, yeah, more uh, more fake fake news. And friends, don't let friends watch uh, watch fake news, man. As to, as far as the prices going up, I think it's uh, my thesis. You know, once you go through a couple of cycles, you start to get used to this. I think this is. Um, don't yell at me for this. Those of you who disagree. Uh, but you're going to see the halvening start uh, build into the pricing before the halvening, which is often why whenever, you know, people have the halving parties and all of a sudden, okay, well, why isn't the price going up? It's because it's been going up for the, for the previous year. Uh, at least that's, that's how I uh, read it in the last couple of cycles. And I'm sure that's what's going to start to happen. The fact that all these financial uh, firms are in unison, like, like, a, like a pack of vultures, are all trying to get ETFs approved, and I'm sure there is massive political pressure on uh, on the government to approve these ETFs. So I think things are going to get really interesting soon. Yep. For I sure. Think- Shout out to Gazla Victoria in the audience from Riot. Hey, God, I'm throwing you an invite if you want to come up here. No obligation to do so. By the way, this is just an opinion, but Riot should probably sponsor Pacific Bitcoin. We're, we're working with a, a lot of the mining companies for this because we feel like this is a an, it's a perfect platform. Like Bitcoiners are going to buy your stocks and the people who are hanging out at Pacific Bitcoin are, are very likely candidates. So anyway, just planting that seed. Okay, welcome to Cafe Bitcoin in relation to the there's some bullshit news out there. Our mission on this show is to provide the signal in a sea of noise and teach the other 7 billion people on this planet why there's hope because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. Today's show, we're going to be discussing the increasing activity in the institutional space. There's a whole ton of stuff happening right now. 
Uh, we will also, as usual, be unraveling the secrets of the universe, although we will try to stay within the guardrails of um, the Overton window for most listeners, <laughs> if possible. Don't know if we'll succeed at that, but we'll try. And we're going to hit some basic Bitcoin Q&A. In the second hour of the show, we've got the Bitcoin racing team joining us for an update. That should be pretty cool. Uh, apparently, the GBTC discount window is closing. Does anybody have any uh, insight on this? Oh, only wild speculation. I'm happy to offer that. Those actual insight. I think um, there's just the expectation that the BlackRock uh, ETF this will help. Or, or trust will will get approved. It'll have some kind of redemption thing, and that this will require GBTC to update their policies or or permit them to, uh, one way or the other, uh, and and uh, and that will end the the problem that they're having with people viewing this asset as in, as vastly inferior to holding Bitcoin because it's like because you can't get the Bitcoin out of it. And I think the difference is in the trust format of. Um, of uh, the BlackRock ETF, you can redeem, which would cause them to sell out of reserves the Bitcoin and give you cash. That's not as, it's obviously not as good as withdrawing your Bitcoin from it, but uh, but you can withdraw cash and then buy real Bitcoin on the open market. The problem with GBTC is there's no way to get them to sell any of the Bitcoin that they hold. So it's just held in trust like a black hole uh, f forever, and they need to update that. And that's why there's such a discount. <laughs> It's always the market trying to anticipate. Don't don't you think that if if they if they push through Black Rocks, then Grayscales will also get pushed through? Because isn't Grayscale trying to convert it to a, some sort of ETF? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, 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 I well, you know, Grayscale's trying to manage in one way or another because it's such a long story and it's such a mess. Everything that's happened with Grayscale because of people trying to arbitrage the private offering, which was at par and there was a premium and then it went to a discount. And that's where a lot of these Bitcoin companies or you know, these, these venture capitalists wrecked themselves by trying to, uh, to game the arbitrage that went, <laughs> that went from positive to negative on them. So there's a bunch of broken things ab about the way that people look at GBTC, which is why it trades at a discount. Uh, but it's good for GBTC as a business. They just sit there and hold on to all the Bitcoin that's ever been bought there and charge a 2% management fee. And, uh, it doesn't really cost that much to manage Bitcoin, let alone a percentage, right? There's there's like a, billions of dollars of BTC in there. So um, this this might create a market condition where they will need to do it out of competitive purposes. Uh, but in, in theory, GBTC could just sit on all this, you know, no matter what the discount is, like they earn 2% of the net asset value, not even 2% of the market value. So they're, you know, it just, it's not a great setup in the long term. And uh, presumably, they'll do what's in the interest of their unit holders, as opposed to, there's a conflicted interest between their revenues and their unit holders, who are their source of revenue. I am furiously uh, typing to somebody, multitasking. Fair enough. I mean, you know, in general, 
uh, you can speculate on whether or not you're buying at a discount and you think the discount will close, but you're not buying real Bitcoin when you're buying GBTC or, or any of these other paper products, but GBTC is available on the market right now. And, and people have learned that lesson very expensively because they, many people bought it at like a 30% premium because of its convenience. And then it fell to like a 30% discount. So think about that. If you paid 1.3 Bitcoin and you've only got 0.7 Bitcoin worth of value that you can extract, that's a huge expense. Plus you're bleeding 2% per year in management fee. You know, the 2% seems small when, when you look at it that way. So it's been really unfortunate for the people who got uh, trapped in there. And like I said, it, it, I think this is what took down BlockFi and a couple of the other uh, platforms that were paying yield to people, uh, you know, until the until the source of yield disappeared. Isn't it larger too than than you know just that loss? You know, you you talked about going down to like you know uh, you know the the loss in value, but I mean, there's also since we're living through this one way only accumulation phase one time only you know it's like there's this lost opportunity cost too yeah all right well, it looks like, it looks like the game's about to change you know um maybe maybe it won't maybe the sec will turn down all these applications but it's there's been a lot of applications uh rumored or announced since uh since the blackrock one came out yeah, that's been funny to see. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you you bring out your conspiracy hat and put on your tinfoil hat, you know, and it's like, it feels, you know, if you just put the dots in a line, it's like, okay, so they spent like <laughs> this, all this time, like wrecking Silvergate, I'm saying they, you know, and they like wreck Silvergate, wreck all these like, you know, crypto banks, whatever, and then like FTX collapse. And then, you know, there's all that stuff around him. Is he going to walk? And was he a plant? Like all that stuff that goes into it. and then. Now there's these big actions against Binance and Coinbase, and then all of a sudden, whoa, here's the BlackRock F, uh, you know, ETF, and then, oh, yeah, these other guys are making it an exchange, and oh, yeah, here's these other ETFs that are coming back. And then I even saw, I forget the name of it, but it was one from like the last cycle, I think, where they were uh, denied, and then they brought it back. <laughs> like, like, we're fidelities. back. We're doing it again. <laughs> I, think, I, and I think Fidelity was maybe one or the one that you're thinking of. I know somebody like that, as far as like an institution had filed for an ETF similarly, and they got rejected. Wisdom tree, a, a one that have just submitted another um, spot Bitcoin ETF. It really is hard to keep up, you know, and you can just, you can expect that everyone who manages ETFs, you know, commodity ETFs or stock index ETFs is a, a evaluating whether they want to apply for one of these or not. Because of but you opportunity. see, this is why the people have Cafe Bitcoin, because it's hard to keep up. And then they can just come here and they can hear all of us drop the news every day. Oh, and it, it was, was Invesco. Uh, Invesco, sorry to butt in, but it was the Invesco ETF filing. Like I saw it yesterday. 1.49 trillion Invesco officially reactivates its spot Bitcoin ETF filing. 
think there was a for, lot of reactivations um, too. For these ETFs, do they? Is it expected that they're going to start stacking Bitcoin in anticipation? Like, do they start stacking before no. it actually gets approved? No, because they they need they 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 can't stack without capital. So they are using investors' capital to buy Bitcoin. So you can rest assured. I mean, the price movement that we're experiencing right now, I think, is largely fueled by people speculating that they're going to buy. And, and there could be inside, like, it's not inside information now, even at BlackRock, to say that BlackRock has applied. So there may be this, all sorts of people saying, like, we're about to file an ETF. Why don't you buy some Bitcoin in advance of it? Because it's going to cause the price to surge. So you get this positive feedback loop. Okay, this is something I've been meaning to do for a couple of days now, but have been, no excuses, I've just been slammed. If anybody actually has the link to the filing for the for the BlackRock ETF, would you mind DMing that to me? I can, of course, can. I'm, an, I'm a grown-up, I can find it later, but if you have it handy, please send it to me. Something I'm curious about um, is a lot of people assume that the ETF itself, the trust itself, will be buying and selling Bitcoin. That's not how the GLD trust worked. And uh, the GLD, the way the GLD trust worked is, is that there were these things called the um, authorized participants, and they were basically bullion banks. They were some of the biggest banks in the world. And they, what they would do is they would take gold, um, and they would transfer it uh, in exchange for uh, shares. And the shares could be redeemed for gold, I believe, if if I'm recalling correctly. Uh, so if that's the same case with um, with the way they do this one, they'll have market. Well, they'll have they'll have people in the middle who arbitrage. See, the the point is this created a natural arbitrage. The trust itself was not in the market buying and selling gold; it was just redeeming and creating shares. Does that make sense? And there were others in the market who had an incentive to redeem and create shares in order in order to arbitrage the price of the ETF, and that caused the market to um, equalize the, the NAV so that the NAV matched up. Yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense. And that's how I understand most of these things work. I just find it hard to imagine how a, a, a business as huge and massive as BlackRock get this ETF turned down for, for better or worse um, in terms of, you know, Bitcoin adoption, et cetera, and Bitcoin decentralization. I, I, I can't see how this one gets rejected. Yeah, that's a pretty common opinion of Bitcoiners at the moment. Don Bay, what's up? Yeah, I agree. Um, if you were, odds are, are definitely favoring approval. But I will say, this is like uh, not factual information. This is just thoughts. If you were going to waste a loss, an L, you know, and go 560, whatever their record is in one, you know, th that that's always something that, that you need to look at that, that with a track record like that, that's a play um, to, to file something knowing that you can generate a whole lot of buzz, get a whole lot of uh, uh, things worked up and, and still take a loss on it. Again, I don't think that that's likely because they're putting, you know, their reputation and clients on the line for not much return let me let me ask you a question you say generate buzz what's the motive there like I, like I personally don't think that's what they're doing but explain to me why you think that might be what they're doing well I just if you if you have a record of 
you know, 550 approved uh, applications to one, you can, I mean, that alone is going to generate uh, interest. Uh, it's going to do what it's doing right now, right? Which is going, oh, this thing's going to get approved. This is going to get, it's going to open up a bunch of institutional flow. Yeah, but just what be, would, just, if you're BlackRock, what would be the advantage to you? generating loading that. loading up with short positions from price appreciation due to speculation hmm. yeah i mean i, I i'm I gonna think, i'm gonna throw an invite to joe carlosari out in the audience i see you oh did he disappear and he dipped yeah get back here joe <laughs> i suspect he might have an opinion on this Here, here's the thing when you file stuff like this like you don't just do that like I don't think they're doing that to create buzz. There are other ways that institutions like that can create buzz in the institute in in that industry. Uh, in, by in that industry, I mean in the securities industry, and they don't do it by filing. Filing is expensive, man. Those certainly, attorneys certainly are expensive. Certainly, BlackRock doesn't do that. We we can say that for sure. They have five. Well, I would say five hundred and thirty-two ETF filings. I believe it's five hundred and thirty-two. Only one has not been accepted. Yeah, I, I agree that, again, that's why I prefaced it by saying it's not news. It's just an alternative to this concept that, you know, that they're for sure going to get it approved. Uh, just kind of like thinking around the fact of like, all right, what if there could be all kinds of different uh, motivations that we're not aware of at that level? But Don's again, I agree. Look, I think the motivation is simple. I think everybody's overthinking this by a mile. The motivation is simple. If If Hoffa is right, and the and the the BlackRock spot ETF goes to six hundred billion within five years. They're making a billion and a half at at twenty five basis points per year in fees. I don't know. That's pretty healthy freaking cash flow to me. It's very. Like, why wouldn't Why wouldn't you do thing. that? Like, I don't think Alex. there's anybody on the planet that's wealthy enough or any institution who doesn't give a crap about adding one point five billion in revenue to your bottom line a year. I think the other thing that we need to also recognize about BlackRock with 11 trillion under management, they are kingmakers. Larry Fink is a fucking kingmaker. If that guy wants to pick the president of the United States, guess what? There's a good chance that whoever that man backs is going to be the president of the United States. He's a fucking kingmaker. You're starting to sound like Foss. Well, it's the truth. I mean, come on, man. I, if you have just less say it's not the truth. You just to throw you, around, believe me, you're math. going to make an impression. If okay. the, in a $900 trillion world, you have $11 trillion. That's just over 1% of the entire wealth of the planet. That is meaningful. I don't care who you are. That's meaningful. That, that uh, Warren Buffett is a little pimple somewhere on a frog in comparison to that. I mean, these are numbers that, that are just hard to imagine. Okay, okay. eight serpents. <laughs> <laughs> BJ Dichter, what's up? Yeah, the other, the other thing I think that's important is if BlackRock is filing this ETF, uh, this wasn't decided last week. This was decided last year. And they are kingmakers, and they're not going to get embarrassed because the embarrassment in a global stage like this would have negative effects on their reputation. So uh, I think there's a lot more going on behind the scenes here. By the way, Mass Adoption Freedom Festival this weekend. If you're in Boston, Massachusetts, you better be out there 
uh, Foss is going to make uh, make us all feel great when we get to dunk him. So if you want to dunk Foss and Lapard, come and uh, let's get him in the water as quickly as possible. Joe Carlisari is back in the audience throwing you an invite. Please come up here and, and be the adult in the room when help. it comes to... Help. Yeah. Help. Nate, what's up? Yeah, Joe's going to tell you that all of the other previous applications that were approved were in already existing securities that had long-time establishment with rules that were clear and set forth. This is not that. And he's going to say, chill out. Nate, stand by. We are sending... Uh, <laughs> We're, we're, we are sending um, net runners to rescue you from the matrix. URF is on its way. Just hold out. Wait, who did we dub as Neo the other day? Who's who's Neo? We, that was really funny. Was it Joe that we dubbed Neo? Not Joe. I think it was. It throws me off because he's because he's wearing a suit and it makes me think of agents. So it, like, it's, it's a conundrum. Mentally. So Joe, you're, you're also going to need to change your attire and go all black with leather and sunglasses for us. He's probably working right now, uh, you know, doing something you know, and we're all talking shit about him, which I think is absolutely hilarious. Consummate. Wake, welcome <laughs> we to the stage. Throw, we can throw some shit about Terrence in here too. Cause I think Terrence should just lend Joe one of his Gucci, uh, uh, leather trench coats. Cause that would fit that look really well. <laughs> Why don't you buy him one, Peter? Hey, for all you boomers I'm out there, did anybody, did anybody hear this morning that Joe Kernan said he holds over 10 Bitcoin? Oh, yeah. <laughs> live on, on air. air. Live on Where? air, he announces. A co- he is that right, Peter? Did you holdings? See? You don't dock yeah. your bag. Yes, he did. I did hear that. And yes, he did say that. He also said he started purchasing um, around 4000 And then there was some comment about eight thousand um and you know uh, joe kernan is is he also said that it's only one uh let's see becky quick leaned over and said yeah but bitcoin is only a small portion of your wealth and he said yeah it's one to two percent but if you think about it in terms and frame it in terms of people who are um tradfi uh maxis and tradfi boomers uh, like myself, that's how I started. I I was gonna I was gonna give myself a five percent allocation, and I'm sure that Joe's one to one to two percent allocation has grown over time. Even though he's probably tried to rebalance it, he's probably um, as any as any um, uh, good tradfi uh, risk manager would do. He probably when it doubled, he probably sold half of it. When it doubled again, he probably sold half of it again, and it's still one or two percent of his damn portfolio. Joe Kernan's wrecking you guys. He's buying your Bitcoin. I mean, the signal here isn't what Joe Kernan holds. It's 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 the fact that, and it's not even that fact that he bought it. It's the fact that they're talking about it on MSNBC. That is the signal, people. That is the signal. Lose it. There, there's I even agree. more signal than that. Because on that point, I, I don't know if it's been discussed. Did anyone see um, Santander's tweet on on the Lightning Network? Oh my God, Noodle, you're killing me, dude. I I work really hard. <laughs> I spend hours every day lining up all these topics, and you're freaking bringing them up out of order. God, God, never bring this <laughs> fucker up on stage again. I'm sorry. I'm teasing, kind of. The problem is that he's a, he's a cooked spaghetti noodle, so he's all over the place. He's not uncooked and just straight line, you know what I mean? 
Ah, uh, fuck it. Oh, Let's I go. thought you were talking about Joe Kernan, but you're talking about Noodle. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, just, All right. just a heads up. Joe Kernan has uh, divested into Bitcoin NFTs. Just, just a little heads up. Don't oh drum God. up that conversation again. Hey, I just saw the tweet like last week. So, you know, it is what it is. Okay, I take I, it back. I he's not looking, you guys. Hold on. You said he's <laughs> divested into ETH. Is that what you said? No. Ordinals. Uh, whatever. You said it. You said the fucking word, dude. Uh. Wasn't clear right. enough for him. All right, let's get back on track. You guys. Yeah, are like fuck around and fuck mad. around and, and get wrecked. I mean, that's just, you know, fuck around oh, and find oh, out. No, no, no. And that's what's gonna happen. And Speaking that's part of, which, of the learning process that all everybody Peter, has to Peter, go through. Peter. And if today it's ordinals instead of instead of ICOs or, or shit coins, it's just what people have to do. Just on that real quick, there was a gentleman who purchased into these things and he didn't learn how wallets operated, so he he tried to move his wallet and he reset the device and he didn't write down the keys. He lost seven, he lost seven Bitcoins worth of ordinals. One could say he already had lost them and he just now realized that loss. Which means, which means pay close attention to how self-custody works. Learn it. Do it with small amounts, like, you know, figure it out with small amounts. So you can, you can set up three or four different wallets at very, I mean, you could do it pretty cheaply and just send tiny amounts of Bitcoin back and forth to yourself. Learn how it works. Go ahead, Wicked. You don't even have to use small amounts. You can just use testnet. So you can use like this, you know, version of Bitcoin that's running that doesn't actually have real value and it works exactly the same. And you can just test around on that. You get some free testnet bitcoin from a fountain you can just go to like a you know just google testnet fountain bitcoin and for the for the non for the non-satellite design engineers in the audience you can just get regular wallets and send it back and forth to yourself for free yes yeah. uh, i mean you know we the, haven't the, talked about not, low, not, low not earth free, orbit uh, satellites in a while uh, stop stop and halt okay let's do let's intro the show do some stats you're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. For those of you who are just joining us, this is episode 372. We talk about Bitcoin every day. The Bitcoin impenetrable freedom force field level is at? I got 348 exahash per second estimated. Why does it bounce uh, around so much? It seems like it bounces around a lot, no? Like people who are listening to that, who listen to the show from day to yeah. day are like, God damn. Like, that's well, a, what is it? Make up your mind. Day. Seven-day average, right? Seven-day average. So, yeah. I mean, these are averages and estimates. You have to recognize that at first. But also, I mean, there's a lot of activity. The world's a big place. There's a lot of okay, things well, going why does it bounce around? A, why does it bounce around a lot? Why ooh, Why ooh, is it ooh, ooh, 125 exahash one day and 360? I got an answer for that. Um, as far as, like, the, the operations that are tied into flare gas mitigation, um, there's one thing that not a lot of people are aware of is that when you're dealing with flare gas, like a lot of these oil and gas companies that are including mining operations, um, flare gas, like natural gas doesn't flow out of these well pads in any sort of consistent nature. So like, and if, and that's not even talking about if there's an issue with the operations as far as like equipment getting damaged and stuff like that. So if there's a large well pad that has, or multiple well pads that run into complications and they have to 
wind down operations in order to make repairs and stuff like that's gonna like that can significantly impact like hash rate and shit like that just 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 so people are aware i would also point out that texas is going through a heat wave right now and there was a heat map put out the other day of the the amount of energy putting back into the network and riot is a glowing beacon on the map yeah man we had gosla up here and she popped up and she disappeared because we were just rolling. Mm, bummer. She would have said the same thing, us. though. Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably mostly the, the Texas heat wave, to be honest. I mean, there's so much hash rate coming out of Texas. And whenever it gets super hot, a lot of the times they wind down. Not only because, you know, operating in those conditions tends to be less favorable, but also because, you know, the, the grid needs that energy to spin up everyone's AC units. <laughs> and so... And so miners, you know, as part of their contract, they shut down and they sell that energy back to the grid. Texas is going to reach record prices for electricity. Everybody who's listening I to don't this, know. we've if, been here if before. You, if you feel so inclined, uh, there's a link in the nest. Go subscribe to Wicked's YouTube channel. It's the best data-driven, Dude. animated videos in the entire industry, in my humble opinion. That thing is awesome, for sure. I finally got a grasp on UTXO, so thanks, Wicked. Yeah, I, I watched that same video, and, and really good, Wicked. Good shit. Yeah, I think that everyone needs to learn about it at some point. So, Let's finish the stats. We got, we got derailed. We're like a bunch of like squirrels running. There's squirrels running everywhere this morning. People's attention is very short. Club yeah. ADHD. It's a, a good image. I will say that, you know, we're talking about 348 exahash per second. We talk about 400, whatever. But, you know, this time last year, it was around 200, 220, things like that, bouncing around what, like that. So, What was it two or three years ago? Well, we said yesterday that uh, the summer of, I guess, what was that, 2021? That was like 61, I think. So, I mean, you know. Yeah. It's why should, why, why should anybody care what the hash rate is? Well, I mean, where do you, I mean, how do you want to secure your, your wealth? I mean, that's what we're all talking about. Explain it to a brand new person. If I'm a brand new person, why the hell do I care what your hash rate is, nerd? Nerd, Scotty, we need shields at 100% to protect our money. I mean, for me personally, it comes down to, I mean, there's so many chains where you can put your value, you know, and we know the risks that come along with this type of technology. Uh, you know, there's a lot of little nuances that go into it, but just simply stated for me personally, uh, you know, if I'm going to put my money on some chain, you know, I want to make sure that things like, you know, 51% attacks and, you know, things like that are, you know, harder to do. I want, if there's a bunch of different places I can put my money, I would rather store the money where it's literally the hardest to do that. So, I mean, I know there's like a lot of things that I'm not covering here, but that's like at the most, most basic secure. level. Yeah. Most it's about secure. security for me. You know, this is your, your money. So, you know, I mean, once you learn about the risks, you want the strongest network, the most secure network. And it comes around the half rate. It's about securing your wealth, 100%. Like, uh, you know, I used to work in the gold industry. You know the way we used to secure the gold? 
So we had these vaults that were, you know, the Swiss army digs under the mountains in Switzerland and they create these huge underground military installations that are basically nuke proof. And then sometimes they de decommission those and they, and then enterprising security companies buy them and they turn them into vaults to store gold. Now the security on these things is absolutely insane from a physical security level. And this is the reason why people like storing stuff in there. But if you think about it like this, your Bitcoin, when it's on the blockchain, it lives in cyberspace. It's distributed across, some people think, hundreds of thousands of nodes, plus nodes that are currently in space, in orbit, on satellites. And then you have the miners, which are making it so that you can't just change the transaction record to whatever the hell you want it to be. How many miners do you guys think? How many... How many actual ASICs do you guys think are currently deployed? Does anybody have an idea? A shit ton. Lots and awesome. lots. And definitely in the millions, you know. I mean, somebody should, okay, homework assignment for, for the smart people. Somebody should do the math and we should come back and have that. I, I did the math a while back. Let me see if I can find the post. Okay, I have no idea who's next. We have like everybody. Okay. I'll take a crack at your question. That's okay. I don't want to insult what you just put forth. So Please do. I'm just going to take a crack at it. All right. For the pleb, for the basic layman who's never been introduced to Bitcoin, do you enjoy waking up in the morning and be able to turn on the light? Do you enjoy being able to turn on the coffee machine? Open your refrigerator and have cold food ready to go. The same energy that protects that protects my Bitcoin from the excuse me um, from being diluted through nefarious actors through the same people that would want to steal your dollars by printing more of them that's what it protects okay. i uh i would i would say um as far as like why care about the hash rate measurement um on top of the the points already brought up is that hash rate is also a relatively direct representation of monetization of energy. Like, and I think um, not enough, and I, I, I beat that drum over and over and over again, but I don't think enough people really consider the effects of further monetization of energy and the potential downstream effects as far as like, because when you monetize something, you essentially kick off a relationship and competition to where the the monetization of that product continues to race towards the bottom because like the competition forces you to provide energy would be the product in this instance right energy becomes cheaper and cheaper because you find better and better ways to more efficiently generate it in order to generate a bigger and bigger profit margin so by the way to answer that question alex that post i posted up there this is out of date it's from a while back early 2022 but at that time that wall of basics that you see in that picture from compass mining <laughs> lol compass mining um rip has about it has about <laughs> a thousand a thousand asics on that wall and that at the time accounted for about you know one fifteen hundredth of the total hash rate so you know, definitely in the millions of the more kind of higher end ASICs. And then once you start throwing in the older generations, I mean, those ones, you know, it's like a, a one to 10 conversion. So, 
if we've got like a few percent from those older ones and you're talking about, you know, tens of millions potentially of aces okay. total. Dom Bay, I'm stepping away for one second. Dom Bay, you are um, directing traffic. Ant, keep us on track going through the rest of the stats, please. That's a mistake, Alex, but I will accept. I'm going <laughs> to, in, in my first act of sacrifice and, and uh, graciousness, I'm going to pass on my hand and I'm going to go to. Did you say Tomer or Ant? I said Ant. Because Tomer okay. yeah, hand, hand went down. Okay, it cut out. Well, there is one other thing that I look at that, that I like to see at a hash rate. I might be wrong on this, you know. I mean, I'm probably wrong about a lot of things about it. But here's the thing that you know, there's all these different indicators that are uh, like indicative of they're they're painting a picture of the activity on the network. You know, like how alive is this thing? You know, and if you look at something like hash rate, that to me points out like that. Like when you have something of, I mean, there's all these incentives here. And people aren't just going to be spending their time and, val and, and money and, and, you know, like buying all this equipment and spending energy trying to mine something of no value. And the more people I see, like, exerting this force to this network, it, it gives me, like, that, like, peace of mind in the back of my mind, you know, that, like, yeah, this thing is cranking right now. And the fact that it's been hovering around, like, 300 to 400, whatever, like, exahash per second, like, that's crazy. So it's just, I look at it as, like, multiple things security but yeah definitely um that so it's a it's well, a it's a better it's a better metric for actual adoption right yeah. because anybody can one of up any number of wallets and like that can obfuscate the actual adoption curve while alex is gone i'll take advantage of the opportunity for a bad analogy it's like a camping trip where you go with a bunch of people you ever been on a camping trip where there's those people that bring nothing to the table? They bring no resources. They just show up like, oh, this is going to be a blast. Can't wait to get outdoors with everyone. Then there's the camping crew that everyone is bringing something to the table. Resources. They're contributing. Some similarities with Exahash, right? When it's up and the network is strong, people are contributing. They're investing resources for the better of the entire network for everyone. That's the crew you want to camp with. You don't want to go with the folks who are ponying up nothing, showing up with a, a one spoon and a coffee cup like, yeah, we're going to really conquer the outdoors here. <laughs> nice. I think I saw take the rides hand and go up first. So the other day I was at Simply Bitcoin and there was a gentleman that came into the space and explained that in Kazakhstan, they're in, instigating a 30% tax on mining, making the floor to mine around 4.2 cents. Um, so there is also that impacting the country. Tomer. Kaz Kazakhstan is like one of the big ones. Um, so I, I think I, I'll just take a crack at Alex's question the reason you want to see a really high hash rate because hash rate is a measure of the energy being used to continue to add on to the network and that's what prevents anyone from being able to attack the network remember the network is a continuously updated ledger that gets updated f from time to time but typically once every 10 minutes and you want to make sure that everyone agrees on on it and that if you've received some bitcoin someone can't make a fraudulent version of the ledger that says that you don't have that bitcoin and the way that the energy works is the, the energy itself 
basically gets added to each new each new block. That's what it takes to add to it. So if you have a transaction that was confirmed 10 minutes ago, it would take that the amount of energy that all the miners are putting into it over 10 minutes to to attempt to make a different transaction in there for the sender to send that Bitcoin to someone else other than you. And if your Bitcoin is 20 minutes old, it was confirmed 20 minutes ago, you now have twice as much energy protecting required to attack it. And if you have a transaction from a day ago, you have 144 times as much energy as went into the last 10 minute block. So you're building this incredibly difficult, um, near impossible to change record because there's not even enough energy in the world, let alone enough equipment in the world uh, to change it. And that's why this is so secure. Like the trade-off and the reason proof of work is so important is if anyone could, if you had anyone who could change the record or you had people with special powers, uh, special authorities to change the record, you could rest assured that those people would eventually change those records to their advantage or to the advantage of someone who had something over them. Nobody can change this because it's completely verified by anyone who participates in the network. And the only way to succeed at it is with the proof of work. And as the difficulty increases, it's interesting, it's called difficulty. It becomes more difficult to double spend, to undo any transaction or any block in the in the records. And that's why it's so incredibly secure and secure against even the forces of things like nation states. There's a, there's a second side, which is the um, asymmetric cryptography, which is what makes sure that nobody can guess your keys to move your coin. But once you get your coin, it's proof of work that ensures that nobody can take it away from, nobody can undo the transaction that you got it with. So sorry for the slightly long-winded answer. I just think if there's new, you know, Alex's question was, if there's new people, what's going on here? And it's this engineering trade-off. Like at the bank, they could say tomorrow that you don't have the money that you say you have. And you just have discrepancy records and that's it. But in Bitcoin, everyone has the same record. And the reason everyone has the same record is because to add to the record, you have to do significant work and prove that you've done it. We can get into that another time. But the proof that you've done it um, is mathematical so that nobody can dispute it. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give this to the to the boomers real quick to the people who who I Tomer it's exactly correct but that's a pretty uh, nuanced uh, uh, explanation but it's pretty simple our money currently is data it is not physical imagine Danny Ocean from Ocean's Eleven is trying to break into the vault only the money isn't physical it's data right you don't want Danny Ocean to be able to get to your money. So the only way to protect it, data is with energy, as, as Tomer was saying, and the hash power is the energy that is protecting the entire network, your money, and you want as much energy as possible protecting that money because there's always a Danny Ocean out there trying to get your money, only they're doing it in the digital realm now, not in the physical. Hash rate, Peter. Hash power refers to a single miner or a, a miner, you know, like the not single, but um, thank you, man. Mr. Go fuck Hobble. yourself. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you guys on the hash rate. Obviously, hash rate is important, but what's equally as important is to make sure that hash rates actually get distributed and the producers of the ASIC fabs get distributed. Um, you know, it doesn't make much sense if one entity is the one that's getting all the hash rate. Sure, the incentives are there for them to not try to wreck their own investment, but, you know, if start thinking adversely with the state attacks which they're, they're able to capture an entity that has say 30 40 50 percent of the hash rate that's not great either so what's very but the problem is is that you will never know that metric is impossible to find out who's actually controlling what machines um but yeah so hash rate is definitely important the most the more work gets put into the system the more secure your transaction is from getting double spent later on but at the same time you need the distribution of hash rate and the producers of the hash rate to be distributed. I think we're at a time where it's never been more distributed before. Um, the production of these machines needs to get a little bit more distributed, but I think uh, we still have time for that. A lot of good answers there. And I mean, it takes time, right? Me and Peter literally just stopped using the mouse as a foot pedal for our computer. And we're making strides and grasping all this stuff and figuring out, you know, what exahash is. So that's you a lot not, of good you, you ain't, you are hold not. Hold on, hold on. You got rid of the foot pedal? What the fuck? Put it you on the don't. desk. I'm using my hand. Bombay's over here acting like he's a boomer. You're not a boomer. No, the wife just calls me a boomer when I do boomer stuff, which she says I'm a borderline boomer. So. Yeah, that would be a, that would be a Gen Xer. Okay, did we finish off the stats, or are we chasing squirrels? What's up? Both. We're only part way through. I got a couple extras over here on timechainstats.com. So uh, you can buy 3,404, I guess about 3,400 sats per dirty U.S. dollar right now. We got about 310 days to go until the next halving. And uh, let's see. I have another good one since we were talking about this earlier. Uh, let's see. Mm, right here. Sorry, there's so much data here. Uh, let's see. Uh, you can buy one Bitcoin can buy about 401 barrels of oil at today's $72 WTI. Now we're done. Okay. By the way, you can buy 3,457 sats per dirty fiat dollar. You are not too late. Last Thursday, it was it was 4,014. Do you know why the number is going down? The price is going up in U.S. dollar terms, obviously. If you're new, though, that's an that's a interesting thing to wrap your mind around. We've already mined 92.42% of the total supply of Bitcoin that will ever be mined in the history of the human race. Might want to get some clubs better. Hurry up. I'm going to love that when the crisis company, we're all in here hashing out how this shit works and we're still fighting about it. <laughs> I love that with Bitcoin, you know, uh, Tomer apologized earlier for the long answer, but it just, it's hilarious. You know, you, somebody asks a simple question, like four words in the sentence, you know, like in the question, and then it'll be just, I mean, you have to answer it with this long thing. Sometimes it just, it is the way it is. It's funny to see. No, you don't. I have a different I different I have a different answer than what everybody gave. You ready? It's this simple. Why does the Bitcoin hashing level go up and down? It's because 
it takes different times to actually guess the block. Sometimes you guess it faster. Sometimes you guess it takes longer, whatever. Is that not right? That, that's on very yeah, short well, time frames. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. If yeah, you're doing the average a seven on, day like, on like a day. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure that's it. It might be a little bit. I mean, there's some fluctuation. I'm, I'm trying to arrive at the simplest explanation. Nice right, try. We'll, I, think we'll that, that, I think that. I think that <laughs> one's actually more complicated. I think the simplest explanation is that some people are just turning their miners off and then turning it, them back on. Yeah, it's Ooh. a big world with a lot of people in it. That Doing actually makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Yeah, somebody brought that up. <laughs> the, the the heat wave. The miners going. Okay, fair, fair, fair. Dr. Jeff, throwing you an invite. Good morning. All righty. Let's see. We are nearing the top of the hour. Let's see some announcements real quick, and then we will keep rolling again in the second half of the show today. We've got Bitcoin racing. That's pretty cool. Looking forward to that. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, Great place to learn about Bitcoin, the place. We've covered a lot of fun fundamentals this morning. I like doing that. I know it's repetitive. Some people who have been around Bitcoin for a long time are like, gosh, dang it. I think the, the fundamentals are super, super important, both for long-term Bitcoiners, because I think it's easy to forget sometimes how to explain this stuff to, to what many Bitcoiners refer to as normies. These are people who haven't figured out Bitcoin yet. It's important to go back. You know, because our language gets very, what's the word? We get in the in this thing where we're all talking to each other sometimes, and like we all know what each other are saying. But a normal a person, a, a normal person, esoteric. A, what normie? Yep, esoteric. The word you're looking for is esoteric. But I think Thanks. it's part of staying humble. I think it's part of staying humble. When you sex out, you stay humble. That's, that's well, doing. it's important. I think. I mean, I like the I like the point that Tomer made yesterday. You know that. Listening to some of these stats getting rattled off, you know, depending on your level of experience can probably be either uninteresting or just outright confusing. So I do like how today we kind of discussed it a little bit uh, for for these things. So, you know, hopefully that was valuable for folks. I, I think it is. And and look, if someone's new, like I needed to under all, understand all this stuff when I was new. I needed somebody to teach it to me, Right. So I feel a debt of gratitude to, for all the people who took the time to explain this kind of stuff to me. Yeah, I read articles and stuff like that. But I find that place, spaces like this gets to the truth very quickly. And I, I like that because I feel like it accelerated my learning curve, personally speaking. And my yeah, mission and still, is the other oh, 7 billion. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut in. I, I mean, the, I'm still learning too. Like every time, like when, when we're talking about that stuff, it reinforces it for me too. I mean, there's like a ton of stuff that I don't, that I like barely even scratch the surface on this thing after even being here for so long. It's just, there's just a lot to it. And having us be able to discuss it in this context has been really helpful for me as well. And there's also a lot of stuff that sometimes we have wrong in our minds. I'll be on the show and I'm going like, oh, I had the wrong kind of, I had close to the right understanding, but not polished. And that's always good too. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's seeking mastery, right. Is the way I think of it. And you know, like in firearms, you know what we do every time we do firearms training fundamentals, we work on fundamentals. We, we fine tune those fundamentals, thousand perfect reps, slow, smooth, smooth, as fast. Nate, what's up? 
Uh, back in my previous life, when I wasted a lot of time, um, I used to teach how to mod Skyrim, the game, like the game, different files, how to sort things out, and the logic behind it. And one of the things I found as an educator is that you have to repeat yourself. On a daily basis, you're saying the same things over and over again, and you refine the, the language, but you're still saying the same principles over and over again. And when we do that here, the, from the basic individual who's just entering the space, no one's out there, I'm just talking about the level of education. We, we keep it basic so that even someone just entering the space and someone who's been in here a little while longer but doesn't necessarily understand the principles of a concept to the fullest degree can actually gain something from the conversation. And if you're professional enough to where this is so basic for you, you should either be adding to the conversation or seeking out and creating spaces where you can have those high level discussions and you will still attract those basic and medium level individuals so that they can learn the higher end elements of this thing. Right. All right. Finishing off the announcements. Cafe Bitcoin is the place for your morning news. Preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. Follow the blue swan handle to be notified of when these things drop. The first episode of the Bitcoin Veterans podcast is happening tonight, live at 9 p.m. Eastern on Spaces. We're going to do it every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. It's also going to be a podcast on all your favorite platforms. It's featuring myself, Shane Hazel, Gabe Lord, Mike Hobart, Operation Libertas. Bunch of military veterans, some with combat experience, some with not, but it doesn't really matter. Like we're going to be talking from our perspective about why Bitcoin is important. Why, <clears throat> like for a lot of guys who are prior military, they joined for certain reasons having to do with mission and belonging and honor. And, and these things that a lot of people don't, don't maybe don't think about a lot. <clears throat> in my experience, but when they get out, especially if they've been deployed overseas and maybe done a bunch of stuff and gotten a little disillusioned because they got sent over there by people who don't give a fuck about them and it's for political reasons and they're doing things that maybe, maybe they carry. Maybe they have to carry it their whole life after that. Anyway, the point is that Bitcoin is a mission that these guys can re-engage with. It's going to be awesome. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. Also, uh, Pacific Bitcoin promo code CAFE for a discount. If you're considering VIP, shoot me a DM. Happy to help you. Happy to talk to you about that specifically. All right. Let's keep rolling. Good morning, Dr. Jeff. What's up? Hey, good morning, Alex. Uh, I'm walking again. Can you hear me okay? You sound good. Good, good. Hey, so, <laughs> I'm glad to hear you're out there walking, get some sun. You're doing the, you're yeah, doing man. the lubka. <laughs> Got to keep the fat away. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, man, first of all, I think it's awesome. You're doing that Bitcoin for, for, uh, uh, the vets. Uh, I was, I sat in, I was, I was, uh, lurking in the audience when you did your first little trial uh, run last week, I think, um, really gets me thinking. Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot. You guys know I've posted about this, about how our, the systems are broken. And then that gets me thinking about military. It gets me thinking about healthcare, uh, teachers, basically people who are generally good, who want to commit their life's work to, uh, to the service industry, like helping other people 
and I would include military, I would include healthcare uh, people, uh, you know, teachers, like I said. There's, first there responders. First responders, absolutely. People who rush in to help when everybody else is running away, right? Um, and so, like, I have mad respect for these kind of people. The problem is, is they go into these broken systems that have their own agendas. Like the military is a great example, right? Um, they, there's a lot of people who go into the military meeting to do well for people to get highly specialized training, become excellent at what they do, but then the government sends them in to do stuff that they may not agree with. And they're like, wait, why am I doing this right now? This is kind of crazy. Uh, you know, putting myself in harm's way, uh, putting, you know, possibly injuring other people, this kind of stuff. It just feels kind of wrong, even though I went into it for the right reasons. Same thing that doctors and nurses uh, are dealing with too. Same kind of problems. Like I went into it to help people get healthy, uh, but the system is making me do other stuff. There's th this thing called a food pyramid. That's just insane, right? There's big pharma saying we should do this, but th this is insane. Why would I just put somebody on 20 medications instead of telling them about nutrition and getting more exercise, right? And so the broken systems drive me nuts. And I spend a lot of time thinking about how to fix these. I'm 48 now. So I've been watching people talk about these, especially politicians about how they're going to fix quote unquote, these systems, uh, if they just get elected, and if they can just pass this law. And you know what, it never happens. They just get bigger and bigger and more opaque, and less efficient. And they continue to just spit out the people like the good people who are trying to do good. Uh, and it basically just, instead of being generally good for the public, it tends to be uh, generally harmful. And that just really sucks. And so that's something that I'm super hopeful for Bitcoin and not to just be like a Bitcoin fanatic, but what Bitcoin does is number one, anything it touches, it makes more efficient and it forces an honest unit of account onto it versus the government money and US dollars, which make everything less efficient uh, and, and you actually have an opaque unit of accounting. So like the huge, the huge problem of healthcare is that nobody knows pricing, even doctors, even I, when I was doing procedures, I had no idea how much they were going to cost patients. I did know that it was going to be an insane amount of money that would probably wipe them out if they got diagnosed with say cancer or got into a terrible accident and had to spend, you know, several months in the ICU literally would wipe them out. They, literally I've seen patients go bankrupt. Um, it's horrible. It's an awful thing to be a part of. And so anyways, I'm, I'm obviously going off the tangent, but love what you're doing. Uh, I do think that I'm very hopeful that uh, one thing that Bitcoin does being permissionless and peer to peer is it, it cuts out the middlemen, right? It cuts out the insurers. It cuts out the government. It cuts out the administrators and it makes the relationships between people more pure. Right. And so, like, if you're in the military, you can just be helping people directly instead of being uh, pushed by the government to do something you may, may not agree with. As healthcare providers, we can help people directly uh, and, and not, you know, not be pushed to do stupid stuff that we don't agree with. So anyways, I'm going off. I'll stop talking. But uh, but I, I'm really glad what, that you're doing that. And I applaud your efforts. Well, and Jeff, um, just real quick, that's a reason why in the military, if and if a soldier were to win the lottery, they're kind of um, pushed out in this, in a sense of uh, not being allowed to serve anymore, because if they, when someone comes into that amount of wealth and money, um, the military knows that they aren't necessarily beholden to listening directly to orders because they're not, they're not like beholden to the, the income or the salary that they're making from the military. That's a very good point. 
Right. The way that all these systems are incentivized, I think, is just barbaric and super ugly. And it basically like like because the government controls the money, they have the power and they control the incentives and the whole incentive structure. And it's just corrupting system after system after system. And it drives me crazy because people want to do well and people want to help other people. But the systems make that harder and harder. So very frustrating. Bitcoin is the way. We're all going to make it. We have questions about Noodle. Go for it. But in the meantime, we still didn't discuss Science Sound there. Let's do it. It's coming. That's what I actually, that's what I was just going to bring up. Thank you. Lot of activity in the institutional space. I know Ant hates it when we talk about this because of the seven serpents and all that crap. But a lot of things going on. What's going on? Crypto exchange backed by Citadel Securities Fidelity Schwab starts operations. That was uh, in the Wall Street Journal. You've got Deutsche Bank, the $1.4 trillion asset manager, has applied for a regulatory license to operate a custody service for Bitcoin and digital assets. You've got BlackRock, Fidelity, Invesco, Wisdom Tree, all filing for Bitcoin ETF. Santander has fired up its own lightning nodes and has launched its own, quote, digital assets 101 education series. By the way, Santander is Spain's largest bank. It's kind of like the equivalent of like, I don't know, what's the largest bank in the US? JP Morgan, something like that? Gold? I don't know. But they, you know, they're like Santander, this is the quote from Santander, Bitcoin's lightning network supports millions of transactions per second. It's just fascinating to me to see all this stuff that's going on. Anybody have thoughts? I thought they were using, uh, I thought they were using Ripple to make their transactions. Yeah, they were promoting Ripple not that long ago. But everybody's got to, everybody climbs Mount Stupid, right? Everybody. Well, I found interesting. I, I, I live on it juxtaposition of, of the amount of transactions on um, the Visa network next to the Lightning network coming from a bank, which I just thought was, was, was yeah, amazing. Well, some of them are starting to figure out that they either get with the program or they're going to be extinct. Like Fidelity figured this out five years ago, guys. And more and more, you're starting to see them figure it out. I, I think we can talk about the timing maybe. Um, and how this kind of aligned because this kind of exchange doesn't pop up overnight, you know, to create it between different entities. And suddenly it happens the next day simply because somebody got sued. They've been planning this for a while. And I don't necessarily think that they are in collusion with the SEC, but I think they saw the writing on the wall where these activities, these, these, these and these institutions, these finance oh my God. Is this is this an extension of now we fight them, or is this the beginning of now we join them? Am I matrixed, or is there no. is that something else, Alex? You, you, have, you have matrix, you have construction sounds, you got all kinds of shit going those, on there, were, buddy. The Turn off your jackhammer. It's just the rumble. That's just, it's just the lane departure. It goes off if you get close to it. I'm not out of the lane. 
But anyway, the timing of this. Anybody else have any ideas on that? Yeah, I want to know if we're entering now we join them or if we are just extending now we fight them. Well, that's a that's a difficult topic, Peter, because I think I think we're getting into where regulatory systems are beginning the now we fight you stage. But um, energy companies are getting to the point of uh, coming around to then we join them. And financial companies. Sorry, I was a little disconnected from the topic. Yeah, what were you saying, Ant? I said y'all better hurry up. Oh, that's going to be on your gravestone, dude. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> you didn't hurry fast enough. I mean, it cuts both ways. And ultimately, I'm happy to see it happen both ways like on the one side it's the pure like adoption play like oh they're just recognizing that they better become you know voluntary participants in this network before it's too late for them you know and trying to figure out how they can integrate it into their legacy products which would be interesting to see play out but i mean we've already seen it before and if they're trying to do the the other one which would be it's not about adoption for them. It's more about some kind of like regulatory capture play because they're so afraid and whatever that, you know, people think about and go down those rabbit holes. I mean, you know, we've seen that play out too. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be cool to see. It, it is interesting that Santander, like Alex was saying, is like the number one bank over there. I mean, that would be like the number one bank here uh, making big statements like that. Be interesting to see. but. Bottom line, everybody here probably needs to hurry up. Dom, aren't you in charge? What the hell's going on? That was a temporary thing, and Alex came back, and I actually have to jump on a call. And Ant is, is uh, I'm going to pass. Ant was always in charge. It was just a hallucination. Uh, uh, you know, I was never in charge. And so I will check back in with you guys. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. Take responsibility. <laughs> Leaders take responsibility for everything that happens on their watch. You were in charge. You are covering Go sur up. Go surfing. <laughs> Leaders eat last. Amen. Amen. All right. I own it. Good morning, Jetty. What's up? Oh, what a great day to be with the plebs. Bitcoin is pumping. We're all getting girlfriends. Look, I think you look at all these institutions, okay? Um, I think they look back at Netflix. They look back at, um, you know, Napster. They begrudgingly have to acknowledge when a, when a digital platform comes along that is so profound that it alters reality. They're like, look, we can see the software is eating the world. They begrudgingly are going to get on the train, right? They are not Bitcoiners. They're not maxis. They own lots of chairs. They're agnostic to the outcome. They simply care about NGU technology. The number goes up. We want in. 
because they could care less. They're just all about the almighty dollar, which is fine. This was going to happen anyways, and it is exciting to see it. I would say, look, they can play a long game that most individuals can't. So perhaps they're taking a really long way around to try to attack it, to co-opt it. Who knows? We'll see. Um, As long as the plebs do not sell out, you still control Bitcoin. You control the culture. You control the values. And they can't play paper games with the Bitcoin as long as you don't give in. And it's so tempting. This has been talked about. But as you, until you face the reality of, well, if I just sell my stack, I can retire and I can have a cool house and a cool life. And you got to ask yourself, why am I here? Um, and that's, that's something to meditate on. It's exciting to see it. Um, but, uh, uh, what a great time, man. I'm, I'm glad to see it. And all these institutions, it was inevitable, right? It's, I love to be right. It feels really good. So hopefully uh, we'll see more. What do you think, Ant? If you're not walking around your office waving this in your colleagues' faces, are you even a Bitcoiner? <laughs> Morning, Neo. What's up? Hey, what's up? Can you hear me? I'm Bluetooth, so I'm not sure if you... Yeah, you sound great. Yeah, yeah I was uh, just following up, uh, picking up on Jetty's comment. Um, we've all been hearing, you know, talking about BlackRock for almost like three days now. The institutions are here. And then you also hear from Jetty and others, don't sell out, don't give in, don't sell your Bitcoin to BlackRock. Uh, and all that is good. Uh, but I've been thinking about this. Like the question that I've been asking myself is, where we need to be as a community when BTC reaches 500k? Because it's ca- it's coming, right? I mean, well, we've been seeing this for a while now. It's it's actually happening. So, you know, Jerry has been saying, don't sell out. Yes, but if adoption, if we if we get to a point where you know, BTC, it's 500K, then what's going to happen? You know, we want to have a Bitcoin circular economy. We want to spend our Bitcoin, right? We want to be able to give our Bitcoin to other Bitcoiners and keep the circular economy going. So my question is, where do we need to be? What we need to be doing in the next, you know, three to 24 months so that we get to a point where nobody needs to be selling the Bitcoin for dollars because to spend it because we can spend our Bitcoin, right? So that, that's the question I've been asking myself. And I don't know if uh, maybe Tomer, he's a great uh, you know, thinker, maybe others can chime in. Tomer, you want to take that? Okay. I don't know what Tomer's doing, but I I will, I have an opinion on that. And that is we're reaching a point in time. You say, what should we be doing? Quote, we as the community, quote, community of Bitcoin. And I would suggest that we are about to enter a phase where the quote community of Bitcoin is no longer just Bitcoiners. The community of Bitcoin is going to be a lot of people and they're going to have different ideas. 
And whether you like it or not, that's going to happen. So, you know, you ask the question, what should we be doing? Maybe ask the question, what should I be doing? What can I do? And uh, go do that. Like, you ever seen that video on YouTube? There's this video. This guy's at a festival. This guy's by himself dancing all weird. He's like high on Molly or something, right? And then, but he's into it and he doesn't care. And then everybody's staring at him like, look at this weirdo. And then eventually one guy decides, let me go dance with this dude. And then both of them are like partying. They're doing their thing, right? Bam, bam, bam. And then another person joins. And then soon four people. And then all of a sudden, the whole crowd that thought they were too cool to join, all of a sudden, everybody wants to dance all wacky and weird because they don't care. They're no longer self-conscious. Um, I think we're entering that with Bitcoin where it was like, you're so dumb. You believe in that magic internet money. You're, you're ridiculous. You're a conspiracy theorist, blah, 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 on and on. And people are going to start, and slowly but surely they're joining, but they're not here for the right reasons. Now that's okay. You can come for whatever reason you want, but um, you're going to, you know, as, as the size of the pool grows, perhaps maybe the quality of the Bitcoiner will degrade in terms of the principles and the reasons why they're joining the network. As for the circular economy, yeah, there's nothing wrong. You know, like selling your Bitcoin to BlackRock is not the same as uh, a voluntary transaction with another Bitcoiner for a good or service. Those are two very different things. So that's where the circular economy comes from. Um, but I would say, yeah, you're, you know, this is how I think about it. Okay. I think a lot of people drink IPAs who don't like IPAs, but they want to tell people they like IPAs. Do you know what I mean? Like, why don't you just admit, dude, that you like Budweiser or, or whatever, you know? Um, but definitely not Bud Light. Definitely not Bud Light. <laughs> but, uh, and I, and that's okay if, if for the social cloud, if dudes are going to join, whatever, whatever gets people in, I don't care. Um, but you know, you're going to have to expect that cause it's coming. Two things that I'm going to let Ant go first, you say the right reasons, but like my question to you is who are you to say what the right reasons are? This I would is say something this. that, hang on, man. This is something that I've observed about. Bitcoiners is that everybody, every Bitcoiner thinks that they know what the right reasons are. And what I'm trying to convey to you guys is everybody who comes in from here on forward are coming in for their own reasons and they may not be yours. So we can no longer go around with the, with the scepter and the robe and the holy water, sprinkling it on people and saying, you are a good Bitcoiner because you're doing it for the right reasons. That's all about to change. And if you believe in certain things what I would suggest is go teach people those things. But like, we need to get over this idea of being gatekeepers because we're no longer the gatekeepers guys. Yeah, I agree. I would. Okay. So let me change it. I would say unprincipled reasons because if you're unprincipled, but, but Bitcoin is for everyone. You see, don't you see the next wave of people? Many of the, many of them are going to join it for unprincipled reasons. And over time, they're going to figure it out. It's going to change them. Bitcoin changes you. I agree. I agree. Um, I would argue this, though, is if you don't start with principles, with fundamental truths, then totally what, disagree. what you believe is that you will change Bitcoin. And this totally. Is, yeah. 
maybe, but okay, let's let's move on. I feel like we're going in circles here at this point, and we're not like uncovering anything new or valuable. So let's let's move on. Ant, what do you? I got? just want to say real quick, we're signposts. We're just trying to point people in the right direction. That's all. And yeah, I just really liked uh, what you were saying earlier, Alex, and, you know, as an answer. And, you know, I think that what can you do? Uh, where should we be? We, I, I think that it's, it's that you have to educate yourself and you have to educate others around you. Like, this is the time, you know, if you don't know what to do, like find a resource, learn about, you know, how to run a node, learn about self-custody privacy, security, things like that. And then start talking to other people in your community. Like that's what you have to do because if it truly is a us versus them, you know, like whatever, wherever you are on that narrative, that's what it is to me is like, yeah, you have to get your own house in order. You have to save your money. You have to make sure that you're, you know, staying liquid in the in the face of all this stuff so that you don't have to capitulate and sell your bitcoin you want to make sure that you understand these concepts and you can say them to other people repeat them uh so that you can help other people understand it as well that's basically what you can do i mean that's literally like all you can do in, in my mind you can build you can try to build something cool uh you know something that can help that's basically it learn your resources Learn how to speak intelligently about this stuff. That's where I'm still trying to get better on it. I mean, there's so much to this thing, so many different sides. But I can tell you that, like Matt O'Dell yesterday on yesterday's show, he said it really well that, you know, we've seen these paper Bitcoiners come in before and every single time they get wrecked. So, however... However, there's a new wave of people who come in and get wrecked. Like, think about it like this. How many people heard Joe Kernan say that on CNBC and like, what is this? Maybe I should buy some of this Bitcoin thing. They're going to come in and get wrecked. But every time this happens, there is a new batch of people who go through the crucible. There's a new batch of people where the light bulb goes on. There's a new batch of people where some will get wrecked and stick around. Some will get wrecked and like, damn it, I'm not going to get near that thing again. That was painful. But some of them will be like, why? Why? And they'll figure it out and they walk through the door and they will never go back the other way. Well, the concern that I think I, I keep seeing the last couple of days, especially, you know, that they're going to come in and, and essentially like these big players, you know, the, the, the financial institutions, the Black Rocks, whoever, you know, they're going to come in and do this kind of capture phase where they accumulate everybody's Bitcoin. I've talked about it here, too, you know, and and then pass out all the paper Bitcoin, and then heavily, he this is the extra piece, heavily, heavily market to everybody, you know, that the platformed trusted Bitcoin that they've been pa passing out, the fake stuff is the real stuff. And, you know, that the people who are, you know, self-custodying are basically vilified and demonized for what they're doing um, outside of the system, the trusted network, and the real, the quote unquote, real money. And, you know, I mean, some of that stuff, we had Shinobi on here the other day, and he was making really great points, I thought, about, you know, who controls the pricing mechanisms and different things like that. But again, like listening to Matt O'Dell yesterday, he really just kind of like, I was sitting there just kind of observing 
the conversation and and he made some really great points that again even yesterday i was like getting those fireworks in my head just realizing that yeah like some of these concerns and some of these fears it's going to be interesting to see play out but again like on a long enough timeline we've seen these companies who try this get wrecked over and over and over one observation that i've had in bitcoin after all these years and i keep seeing it is if you don't like if you try to fight bitcoin or if you try to resist bitcoin or if you try to you know like go against it you get wrecked repeatedly over and over and over again and it's hard to really describe it but when you see it you're going to remember what i said and it's like yeah so it's going to be interesting to see the big thing i mean if they try to change that narrative and say their bitcoin is the real bitcoin well then it comes down to this circular economy thing and then we're always talking about how the holders are already having all of this supply most of this supply is in the hands of hodlers people who believe in bitcoin who are incentivized to keep it you know pristine and at some point how much of the supply are they i mean if they're getting in just now not talking about whatever they've been doing in secrecy but how much do they really have to play with and they can inflate as much as they want but if we're still holding the real bitcoin then it's our circular economy and the last thing i'll say about that is this vision that i have around this artwork that beauty on put out one time about the circular economy itself where it shows it as like this black growing mass in the middle those are people who have already crossed over from using fiat so now they're just using Bitcoin. They're, they're using Bitcoin in their daily life. That's the circular Bitcoin economy. And it's growing. And then there's this little edge on the edge of it. And that's like the KYC absorption zone. That's like that little edge where the exchanges live, where all the on-ramps live, where the banks live, where all these legacy players live. And then on the outside is like the old world, this legacy fiat system. So it's growing. And if they want to play their little games on the edge of that system, they're probably going to get a lot of people wrecked. But ultimately, we have the power if you don't sell out, if you keep holding, if you take self-custody, you remove the liquidity. It's like that song we listen to every day. You know, what if we take the purchasing power out of their hands? What if we take the money systems out of their hands? That's what we're talking about. Man, I love me some battle in in the morning. <clears throat> Thank you, Ann. That was great. Texas, good morning. What's up? Good morning. Yeah, just on this note, I mean, there's extreme value in having a vanguard of any conservative organization, which you, I guess you could call Bitcoin kind of a conservative organization um, in sense of we want to slowly progress instead of quickly progress. I mean, you see it in the trad cats of catholicism the people that like latin mass these monks you see it in wahhabist muslims you see it in these different organizations across peoples and so i just want to encourage the vanguard of the bitcoiners and i don't like these anybody that says that it's like the purity tests are are bad like i i'm kind of on the other end i want to keep that up i think there's extreme value in it and it'll protect the uh the organization which what are you, you talking about purity tests help me out but I'm, I'm not familiar with this with this 
Well, just like uh, I think Nick Carter said it a while back where he he uh, equated some of these guys, the Bitcoin maxis, the laser eyed Bitcoin maxis to Bitcoin fundamentalists. And I love that. A lot of people didn't like it, but I thought it was awesome. Um, <laughs> just What about the purity uh, test thing? First of all, I don't listen to Nick Carter, but what do you mean when you say purity test? No, a while ago. We've talked about it. Y'all have talked about like, it here. Like but. we're looking for the Bitcoin hymen, you know. Yeah, and just, just saying that, uh, you know, that there are better ways to do things. There are kind of base layer, fundamental ways to do things, self-custody. Um, and then kind of like uh, you're not being as good of a Bitcoiner as you can be kind of deal. I, I like those kind of oh, right. tests. Um, it's the whole, okay, so you're saying you like it when there's a group of people who are like gatekeeping and saying, hey, this is what being a Bitcoiner means. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, they're going to be able to do whatever they want. It's a free country. It's a free, it's an open network and everything else, but yeah, I, it's I like cool. having a vanguard. All right, call it what you like. I, I don't personally think that it's a conservative thing. I think Bitcoin is for everybody. Uh, I believe it's for the left and the right, the, the blue and the red, the brown and the white. It's for everyone. And I still believe that people are going to come to Bitcoin on their own terms and for their own reasons. And over time, Bitcoin is going to change them into what you are saying is a good Bitcoiner, in my opinion. Also, this fear, you know, I agree with Ant, don't sell out. But that's, I mean, that's a given, right? This fear that all the hodlers, the little hodlers are going to sell their Bitcoin to BlackRock, I don't think that's going to happen, guys. Like, in my observation, in my experience, it's the big holders of Bitcoin who have way more than they think they need at times are the ones that are redistributing that Bitcoin to the ecosystem. Go ahead, Ant. I agree with you, Alex, on, on most, on, in principle and on most of it. The, the question that I have is, and for anybody who has lived through uh, like some kind of a movement over time uh, can probably recognize this. My example was punk rock, and I don't want to talk too long about it, but it's to this point is there's if you picture adoption of these movements in and these small communities and grassroots campaigns, things like this, it's always like a series of concentric circles. There's a very small circle in the middle, and those are like the OGs, super like, you know, hardcore original, you know, original people who like understand and literally like set the culture the original tone of the message and over time through each adoption wave you add a concentric circle a larger one outside like a big growing target and each wave is further and further it's more people but it's like further and further away from the original core set of values and understandings and by the time at least in punk rock for me like, you know, I was in that second wave where, you know, I was building off of what the OGs before me had already set in stone, you know, so I was wearing a mohawk because they did. And that was the culture. By the time that I had gotten out of punk rock, essentially, I mean, you never really get out, but time I stopped dressing out, I can say, was, you know, Hot Topic had come around and the adoption level had gotten so that MTV had all the music. They had all these punk rock bands that they were creating, like Good Charlotte and 
and uh, you know, just all these bands that people thought were punk, like Blink 182. They're not punk bands, but they made it so that we believed most of these masses believed that those bands were in fact punk bands. But I can tell you for a fact that the original OGs would not have thought that way. So it's not the same metaphor, but this happens over and over. I've observed it in movements like Bitcoin, where we have a core set of OGs who set the tone and the rest of us are coming in in different waves and we're further and further away from that knowledge set and that truth set that those guys have set in place. So while I agree on everything in principle that you were saying, that is the concern in the back of my mind, like deep down. Here's the thing, though. As people join those concentric circles, they did not have a thing in their life that was fundamentally changing them on the inside, which is what I think Bitcoin does to people. That's been my observation. I mean, anybody who's been around Bitcoin for a while, I mean, you start to think about things differently, no? Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, it's a good point. I just worry that, you know, like I said earlier with the, I say worry, that's not really the right word, but it did come out in a, uh, 40 and slip, I guess. So maybe I do worry about it. But, you know, I mean, that, that is the, the concern is that as we get further and further along in this thing, people get further and further away from it. I mean, could one of these paper Bitcoiner firms really try to like trick everybody? We'll see. Well, there's a risk of that, right? And it's like uh, Odell said yesterday, he's like, you know, the way people learn a lot of times is they get wrecked. So what happens? It, people, there are a lot of people going to get wrecked. That's okay because every cycle, more and more people figure out how not to get wrecked. So, I don't know. We we said this months ago on this show that like one of the biggest adoption markers is going to be when a huge institution like a JP Morgan or a BlackRock rug pulls a crap ton of people. That moment is off in the future somewhere. I think. That's not just an opinion, but I mean, this is part of it. It's part of humanity's lesson. And, and two, you know, what Dr. Jeff was saying earlier, too, with, you know, him going through his experiences of the you know, pharma and the health system and everything. Yes, people are going to get further away from the center or whatever we want to call it. But at the same time, those those incentives are being realigned. So, to you know, to your point, what you guys are saying, Alex and, and Ant, I mean, you're going to come back naturally. People are going to have yes. the government is is reducing their size over time. And yes. it's BlackRock. Yeah, I mean, all these guys are playing on our battlefield now. That's that's the difference. They're on our so, now. So when you when when Brandon, when you say get farther away from the center, like hum, in my opinion, the longer we have a fiat monetary system, the farther humanity creeps away from what I call the center, and we get corrupted. Every system gets corrupted. Every yep. institution gets corrupted. The school system gets corrupted. The politicians become corrupted. The judicial system becomes corrupted. Yes, founding documents. Right? Erica is an example of that. Right, two hundred fifty years out, we've got further and further away. And now Bitcoin will cause people to change. Why? Because the financial incentives change. And whether you realize it or not, everybody gets up every single day and you do what? You go try to earn punch money. In. You punch in. You get on that freaking hamster wheel. You start running. Everybody's doing it. Why are you running and running and running? Why are people unable to understand what's happening to them? Because they're on the hamster wheel running so goddamn hard. They have no idea. They, can't, they don't even have the bandwidth. They get home and they're so freaking tired. They don't have time to study this stuff. I mean, 
personally speaking, I have thousands and thousands of thousands of hours now studying Bitcoin. I know other people on this stage probably have way more than that. Who has the time to do that if you're running on the hamster wheel, chasing the price of things that are running away from you? But what does Bitcoin do? Bitcoin gets, creates a situation where you can save your labor and your time and your energy in something that grows in purchasing power over time. How does that change your decisions every day from the moment you wake up? It's going to change the human race. And it even is, is more insidious than that because like you said, Alex, who has the time and the little time you do have that, you know, someone one day they say, you know what, I'm going to start looking into this. Hey, I'm motivated to start doing this. And then when they do, they open up that browser, they open up something and they're just blasted in the face with bullshit, you know, confusion, the, the confusopoly we live in purposely, purposely done at the top to confuse the shit out of people, whether it's politics or economics or on down the line, which is the game to confuse people and to break their will and say, you know what, I'm All just right. done. We need to wrap this topic up. Why? Because I want welcome to welcome to the stage, Jason Dean. Bitcoin macro guy, Bitcoin miner, and racing driver for the Bitcoin racing team. Also, Charlie McKenzie, deputy team principal and co-founder. Thanks for joining us, guys. Very cool. Very glad you, you came today. Well, we're very, very pleased to be here. I can assure you, um, it have been some fascinating conversations been going on in the last uh, 20 minutes, that's for sure. So this might be a little bit uh, uh, lighter, but I'm hoping it should be and it uh, should also be a lot of fun, I think. But uh, thanks for having us, guys. We're, we're glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, I want to say thank you to Andrew for introducing us to Jacob and uh, getting us um, set up here. It's a really massive space in the community. So it's um, amazing to have the opportunity and we're the whole team is very thankful for you inviting us up. <laughs> yeah, man, it's our, it's our pleasure. I'm really glad you came. Also, Andrew, where are you at? Get up here. Throwing you an invite. All right, gentlemen, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your genesis? Like, why why are you doing this? What's up with the Bitcoin racing team? Why are, why are you guys involved in Bitcoin? What What does it mean to you? Like, what are you trying to do here? Well, there's there's a lot to unpack from that, but actually, I, Charlie, why, why don't you sort of tell the story? I suppose from a sort of personal perspective, and we can maybe get into the Bitcoin stuff after that. How's that sound? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so we've got kind of that Bitcoin story where a lot of people they they've never experienced any problems with the financial system, and you know they go about their lives. The inflation continues, but most people that it doesn't really affect them too much they just seem to be able to carry on um but until you are affected by the traditional system it's it takes people some time to get used to bitcoin and why it's such a good thing um but for us our terrible moment with the traditional system happened in 2008 and um the financial crash caused my family to lose three businesses and we were in the restaurant trade um my grandparents lost a beautiful Georgian house. Um, we lost our cars, everything, places in private school. <laughs> so our lives really got turned around. And then from the years after 2008, when we were trying to pick up the pieces, my mum became a school cook and um, we'd managed to buy quite a big house. But on the wage of a school cook, it's hard to pay the mortgage. So somehow we managed to keep hold of the house we live in now. 
Um, but we, we could never pay off any of the principal sum. We were only able to kind of deal with the interest. And then it got to March 2020 and Lloyds Bank sent us a nice letter saying that you've got four years time or we're going to repossess your family home. <laughs> and uh, that pissed us all off. And my mum called a meeting and said, let's um, work as a family and try and figure something out. What are we going to do to save this house? Um, and it ranged from opening new restaurants, but it's lucky we didn't because uh, it would have been closed down again during COVID. Um, even hiring a warehouse to become an Amazon distribution centre. Um, but we didn't feel we had the experience for that. Um, but my line of thinking was a bit different. Uh, because I knew that during wealth trans uh, sorry during recessions you get these big wealth transfers because my family was on the negative side of one, and during 2020 we had um, obviously the pandemic had started people's businesses were being forced to closed, and that to me felt like a recipe for another recession. So I just googled how do I put my family on the positive side of a wealth transfer, um, and that's how we found out about hard money. Um, how the system had affected us so badly in 2008. And after learning about Bitcoin even more, we thought, wow, this is incredible. Um, more families should learn about this. And we decided to do what we could because we felt compelled to give back to Bitcoin um, to, to improve other people's lives and protect them from that big evil system. Uh, so we just turned our little race team into a Bitcoin standard and um, used motorsports as a way to kind of increase the awareness because obviously racing is used as a massive marketing platform and some of the biggest companies in the world sponsor you know, racing. I think there's over 100 Fortune 500 companies in the NASCAR championship. You, you get huge companies in Formula One and the British Touring Car Championship, which is um, obviously we're in the UK and that's a championship we've been very interested in and participated in. Um, but but that's the story. Basically, we got wrecked by the financial system, found a system outside of it. We liked it. And then we wanted to give back um, in our own unique way as a family. And I started this team with my mum, dad and brother. And then Jason joined and serve a few other people. Very cool. Um, Jason, did you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I can. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's a great story, and I'm, I always, uh, I, I love, love to hear it because it's that that sort of classic transition. And in my own case, I discovered Bitcoin fairly early on. I, I made the terrible mistake of googling what do economists think of Bitcoin. This was back in 2013, I think, and was promptly uh, wiped out of any hopes I've had of getting involved with it because it was obviously a load of old crap. So I, I took the long way round, like uh, a lot of people do. And um, so I got fully involved in 16, so lost three years, basically. I started mining in 17, went large scale after that, Written, wrote a couple of books about Bitcoin, which is all about introducing people to Bitcoin, uh, and then just in, in, engaged on this kind of mission to, to run webinars and, and help people get started uh, uh, with learning what Bitcoin is. So, of course, when I came across these guys, this little little family racing team, really lovely guys as well, um, I just thought, well, we've got to join forces here and 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 see what we can do. So uh, that's what we did last year. Then we all took a trip to El Salvador, 
and met with a senior government there, because, of course, uh, Bitcoin's legal tender there, I'm sure you all know, and uh, including meeting the uh, vice president of the country. And then we got uh, officially endorsed by the country. So we now fly the flag of El Salvador on the roof of our cars. And uh, we also had another connection uh, with uh, a, a, a dashing young gentleman called Sebastian Melrose, who was uh, fresh off the Netflix uh, TV show Too Hot to Handle and uh, had a big following and had this uh, half Salvadoran background. So we uh, tied that in as well and decided to go uh, a bit bigger this year. And I also decided to drive personally this year because, um, you know, I think it's a midlife crisis, frankly. I'm 52. I thought if I'm going to if I'm going to do it, I've got to do it now. So uh, I've uh, been thrown in the deep end and uh, been driving for the team this year as well and absolutely loving it. I just want to add to that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Let's go. Very cool. All right. So my understanding is that you guys participate uh, and you run a Porsche in the you know, in the Carrera Cup in Great Britain. Um, what else? Tell us about the Carrera Cup. Tell us about like the 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 circuit that you guys are on. Like how many people does it reach? Like what's the uh, the overall picture here? Well, yeah, go, yeah, go, 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 go. Okay, awesome. Yes, I'll, I'll give the um, numbers and things on the Porsche Carrera Cup. But essentially, um, the biggest championship in the UK is called the British Touring Car Championship. Um, and globally, it's actually the third lar largest championship in the world in terms of number of viewers and interest. And uh, I was quite surprised to see it's got more viewers than NASCAR and the Indy, the Indy races, which happen in the US. So sorry about that, guys. Um, and the only championships are actually bigger in terms of um, audience are Formula One and MotoGP, the bike racing. Um, and in, in terms of the numbers, the, the championships are broadcasted live on TV. So the Porsche Carrera Cup had a cumulative audience of over 2.2 million people on a primetime TV channel, um, over 46 hours of TV coverage and about 400,000 spectators per year. So each race is about 40,000 spectators. Uh, and obviously the Porsche Carrera Cup is also... Um, promoted on Porsche's official social media accounts, which is um, an extortionate number, probably 50 million followers or something like that. And the Porsche Races Twitter account, for example, has 1.7 million. So um, it allows us to reach a lot of people who um, probably haven't gone down the rabbit hole yet. Um, so it's an exciting project in terms of presenting Bitcoin to people in a fun and exciting way, in a positive way, who otherwise probably wouldn't have... Uh, been exposed to it uh, and who probably have experienced a lot of negativity around bitcoin and you know there's a long a big focus on the energy use fossil fuel consumption and things like that so we love um improving the positive perception of bitcoin by having it laden on a beautiful porsche and uh, presented in a fun and exciting championship which fans love so yeah that's the that's the numbers for the porsche Carrera cup it's a really cool championship and uh, jason sorry i butted in earlier <laughs> <laughs> no that's okay i mean you have the numbers right because i never remember those numbers I, I should um but we've also got four cars the pocket rockets the little citroen c1s uh, a little modified, obviously, uh, which race in the kind much, much, much lower championship, the Nankang uh, uh, City Car Cup Challenge. Um, it's kind of 
the first sort of professional level racing sort of level you can do uh, in the UK. So it's still got all the proper rules and safety regs and marshals and all that kind of stuff. And it's, some of it's streamed as well. Um, but uh, obviously these are not as fast as the Porsche, uh, which is just as well, because I think I just drive the Porsche into a crash barrier somewhere. Uh, so I shouldn't be allowed anywhere near it. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, so that's a much smaller championship. And what we've been doing with that is taking people like myself who are Bitcoiners, passionate about driving, always wanted to give it a go and sort of helping them along and, and committing to a championship and learning that as well. So um, we've got several angles that we're, that we're doing here and um, it's pretty cool stuff. Okay, one question I'm curious about, and if it's okay with you guys, we'll let you guys hit any major topics that you want to that we haven't talked about yet, as well as if it's okay with you, open it up for Q&A here in a little bit. Uh, but my question to you guys is, um, how is Bitcoin perceived? Like in your experience dealing with the industry, the racing circuit, the drivers, the crews, <clears throat> just people who are involved in racing in general, like what is the feedback on Bitcoin? What kind of conversations are you having and, and uh, what's it like? Um, well, I would say um, the, the, the two because the two championships are very different. So you've got the, this little Nankang uh, City Car Championship. The, the conversations tend to be very personal. So it's very easy to get into the paddocks and the pits area. Uh, it's very easy to have a conversation with the drivers and the teams. So you do tend to have very sort of one-on-one -on -one conversations where people ask questions and you can spend time with them. Uh, and and that, generally speaking, is 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 really quite positive. Um, and people generally come around and say, "Oh, I'll check this out, or I'll do this," and and then we might see them again at another circuit. Um, with the Porsche, because it is such a huge championship, and there are so many people, it's much less personal. So you have to kind of pick up what you hear, sort of anecdotally, and, and from the uh, from the crowds. And you do get people saying, "What what is Bitcoin? What I don't understand. What is that? Is is do I what is does anyone know here know what it is? And you hear some conversations about it. So it does work in the sense of asking people questions. Obviously, you get some other you know authority bloke down the pub standing next to him says, "Oh, yeah, it's a load of old crap." Um, so you do hear that as well. But uh, it's interesting the difference between those two tournaments. Everybody thinks they're right about Bitcoin until they're wrong. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've had people ask if we're sponsored by Bitcoin, which is, um, you know, just makes you think, oh, God, we've got to start from the very beginnings of Bitcoin with you. <laughs> they don't really very like funny. Right have you, I mean, have you guys, have, haven't you spoken to the CEO of Bitcoin for a sponsorship yet? That's hilarious. Yeah, that's come up. That has come he ignores, up. He ignores my emails. <laughs> I've also right, had cool. a lot of really dirty looks, actually, like... When we were driving to a racetrack toward to Brands Hatch, this guy walking his dog gave me the dirtiest look I've ever had from within the truck. And I was like, oh, this is it. Sometimes it can be, it can actually feel a bit embarrassing because not that I'm embarrassed of it, but you know that people have a very negative view on it and they're looking at you like you're kind of crazy. Uh, I mean, when we were at Brands Hatch last time, someone walked past and said, Bitcoin's not doing very well on a Citroen. You should get out while you can. And I was just like, Oh, I don't have time for you. But that's the kind of person I need to probably um, be a bit more friendly with and try and uh, educate him along the journey. Because, yeah. But as Jason you know said, what? It's, really it's, it's okay. Because to me, 
it's the same dynamic that occurred with the internet. You know, there were a ton of people who made fun of the internet and thought it was just for nerds and all that kind of stuff. And now all those people are using the internet every single day. So that's going to happen. Uh, I think you guys are doing a great job. When you are racing and you've got that Bitcoin symbol on your car, it doesn't matter what the what the negative bloke in the in the pub is saying about Bitcoin. You guys are creating what I call super signaler kind of waves. And that's far, far more important than the knucklehead in the in the pub who's like, oh, I know all about Bitcoin and it's a, it's a con, it's a Ponzi scheme. He, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about, obviously. Yeah, I, I, do you know what? I've got to pick up on that internet comment because I, I've written a few articles about this, actually. They're some of my most read articles um, because I actually worked for a little software company called Microsoft back in the, uh, in the 90s. And um, my role, I was brand manager there, but part of my role was to drive Bitcoin, uh, sorry, it was to drive internet adoption. Um, and I can tell you the abuse that we got from, um, you know, events that we went to, press articles, you know, people just genuinely thought we were absolutely mad to promote this thing because people just genuinely couldn't understand it. So I was right on the cutting edge of that. Um, but, I, you know, we used to get all these complaints all the time of people calling us crazy and, and arguing with us and stuff like this, you know, what the, would happen with the internet in the future. And um, all I can say is those guys have gone very quiet in the last few years. Yeah, Krugman. <laughs> the, the, the internet will never have, uh, or the the internet will have less impact on business than the fax machine or something like that. I'm paraphrasing, that it, probably yeah, screwing that, that up. But. That, that's pretty much right. Yeah, that was exactly. And there's been, there's been quite a few famous newspaper articles as well. I think I pulled some of them out, which talk about, you know, people turning it off. And then there was the famous the um, the famous one about uh, Amazon, you know, throw another lump of coal on the fire. Someone's just ordered a book from Amazon just complaining about the power use of the Internet. I mean, again, all completely debunked now, but uh, at the time, very much uh, themes that you had to deal with. Okay, what else do you guys want to talk about? What's going on exciting that you guys are excited about? And then if it's okay with you, we'll open up for a tiny bit of Q&A if we have time, and then we'll, we'll let you make closing comments before we close up here. Yeah, well, we're, we're open for any questions. I mean, we, we love what we do. We're very passionate Bitcoiners like yourselves. And, um, uh, you know, some of us, maybe not me, are, are good racing drivers. Um, so combining the two is is great. I mean, we are racing this weekend. We will be away um, for uh, three or four days, testing on Friday, qualifying Saturday, and then racing on Sunday in, in the little pocket rockets, the C1s. Uh, in a beautiful racetrack in North Wales in, in England uh, this weekend. Um, so uh, if anyone is listening to this or in that sort of area, do come down and, and see us. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot of other cool stuff um, coming up, but obviously that's the thing that's on, mostly on my mind because I'll be driving in that one this, this weekend. Charlie? Yeah, thank you. I would, I would say... Um... We've got some really cool, exciting plans for um, 2024 that we're starting to work on. Um, it's quite interesting with the Porsche Carrera Cup because actually we um, we got into the championship two days before it started because um, <laughs> we didn't think we'd be able to get the, um, the finances together for it. Um, and then by some miracle, it did happen. Um, but we, we want to plan much more in advance for 2024 so that we can um, have a much bigger impact so we can last longer in the championship um and we're actually looking at a really awesome championship called the mini challenge um it's within the british touring car package and um actually has a bigger tv audience despite being an actually much more 
less expensive championship. And the TV audience for this championship is 16.2 million and uh, it has 70 hours of live TV coverage. Um, and wow. you're looking at about 75,000 to get wow. a car into that. And we've already been um, offered a mini challenge car by a high net worth individual, which is awesome. And um, we're just slowly trundling away to try and um, get the partnerships together for that one. Um, it looks like a very good value championship, huge numbers. Um, and also we're trying to progress my brother, Chris, who's um, our champions at the moment in the Little City Car Cup Championship. So trying to help his career blossom as well by moving him up into a really awesome and a massive championship. And, and the thing that people love about the Mini Challenge and why it does have such big viewership numbers is because they're always having crashes and people absolutely love <laughs> they love seeing all the crashes happen so um yeah we're, we're really excited to that and um if anyone would like to speak to us about getting involved with the race team it'd be it would be awesome we'd love to um work with you to make sure you get value back as well and obviously it also helps the bitcoin mission as well reaching more people presenting it in a fun positive way and um we also have a really cool educational angle that we're working on now. And I think, Jason, I should bring you in for that as well. Yeah, that's good to mention. I mean, we've, we've um, I, one of the communities I run in the UK is called the Bitcoin Pioneers. And um, we're basically a group of passionate individuals who go around helping people get started with uh, with Bitcoin. And uh, we're actually just setting up a new group at the moment called Bitcoin Hodlers. Uh, which uh, anyone can come in and join and just talk uh, Bitcoin, basically based on Telegram. But we'll be teaming up with uh, Bitcoin Racing to uh, allow people that we bump into to say, "Hey, join this group, and uh, you know we'll help you through the early stages. Here's some great educational material from sort of lots of different people, and and so on and so forth." So we want to sort of elevate next year and really have. Uh, you know, quite a nice, simple process that people who ask questions can go and get the answers they need from people like you and me, um, uh, uh, you know, anywhere in the world, but, uh, you know, primarily in the UK where we're focused. So that's something exciting that that we're going to be doing um, uh, uh, as well next year. Outstanding. Andrew, good morning. Good morning. Um yeah, thank you, thank you guys, and the Clem Racing guys. I just love to get the story. I, like, I, I just want to um, tie back, you know, what Ant was saying before the conversation moved into Bitcoin Racing about like the layers of Bitcoiners or of any movement, right? You've got like the core, and you know, first, second, third layer out, and like what you guys are doing with Bitcoin Racing is like shining a beacon for the very outer layer that may not have heard of it or have has a maybe a negative opinion via what they see in, in sort of a, a mainstream media. And, and this is like an invitation into, you know, the next, uh, the next layer in. And so, um, and, and not to mention the um, expensive space being foregone, right. That, like people not being able to believe that, uh, wait a minute, like you're not, you know, Bitcoin isn't paying you to put that, you know, the big orange circle, big orange sign on your car. So um yeah, more and more, uh, you know, projects like this, I'm hoping to see as, uh, pop up and, and really excited. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you guys may uh, make a presence at adopting Bitcoin. Is that right? Charlie, where have you gone? Oh, yep. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> we um, 
Well, we hope to come and join you there and hopefully speak at the conference um, and also maybe do a race at El Habili Circuit in El Salvador. And actually, we did race there. Um, we were lent a car by um, the track manager at El Habili Circuit and we um, Bitcoin racing liveried that car up. And uh, my dad actually raced that one. My 70-year-old dad, he, he managed to come third place, which was cool. Um, and, uh, <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Yeah, you don't mess with Andrew. He can drive a car. <laughs> All right. Be, <laughs> B, BJ, do you have a question? Then we'll let these guys make some closing comments and we'll wrap up here. Yeah, just a quick hello to Jason and Chris. Good to talk to you guys again. I told you last time you inspired me. I just put a set of um, sport pilots and braided lines on my car, getting ready for my first track day this summer. In a few weeks. So, uh, but I just want to ask you, what about the other teams that uh, are there? Uh, what sort of inquiries and questions do you get from them? Have they reached out to you as in terms of is Bitcoin a, you know, is that a good sponsor sponsorship direction, that sort of thing? How have they perceived you guys? Charlie, do you want to take that one? Uh, actually, we. We haven't had too many discussions with the other racing drivers, actually. Um, I, I think genuinely people have come, like there have been drivers who have said, you know, you guys seem to be, you've got this Porsche on the track, you're, you're doing really well with sponsors and stuff, and is that Bitcoin angle helping you there? And I say, well, yes, it's pretty awesome, but the bear market hasn't been helping too much. So, um, but yeah, I think they're all quite preoccupied and it's, it's quite a savage space, the sponsorship acquisition for motorsports and drivers have to spend a lot of time on that, trying to procure their sponsors and get the racing funded. And um, it's, it's very difficult to, to shine above the rest and all the other options out there. So um, maybe that's why we've had less, less conversations, but something we spoke to Andrew about um, with the Blink wallet would be to actually go and give drivers in the track um, or in the paddocks their first bit of Bitcoin through Lightning. And we're really going to make a concerted effort to um, start doing Joe Nakamoto style, um, giving people Bitcoin through Lightning videos and um, engaging with the other drivers a lot more. Um, oh my God, that's a brilliant idea. You guys could could get like a Joe Nakamoto type guy who's like walking around the paddock interviewing people live. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Yeah. I think we'll just get Joe down there. We we know him quite well. He's a good lad. So uh, we, we should just get him down there, I think. Oh, that that's a great idea. I love it. All right. Uh, closing comments, and then we will wrap the show. Charlie, do you, do you want to go first or Jason? Jason, you want to go first? Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I think from our perspective, I mean, we, we love doing these spaces and talking about, you know, we'll talk about Bitcoin and race until the cows come home. Um, so uh, we, we will happily do it. But, you know, we love engaging with you guys. What is really important to us is the support of the Bitcoin community. Um, and that support can be just look, follow us on Twitter. Bitcoin underscore racing, you know, retweet the stuff that we say. The more, the more spread the stuff that we can spread out, um, the better. So just even getting the coverage really helps. You can go to our website as well, which is bitcoinracing.co. Um, and you can see us there. So it's bitcoinracing, all one word, dot co. And, and just check out uh, what, what we've got on there. You can also donate to the team. You can get some perks. You can, um, you know, 
set up some hot laps or meet the team or, you know, just buy some cool little merch um, or just donate us, some, you know, five sats or something. It all helps because, you know, if in 2024 we are going, we're basically starting again with the sponsorship and the funding. You know, we're not here to make lots of money because we know that's not going to happen. But if we can get the bills paid and keep getting the messages out, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do it more and more and bigger and better and faster and faster. So, um, look, we just love to have your engagement. You know, send us a message, retweet something, give us some support, anything you like. We love it. And um, if you know any companies, Bitcoin, obviously, only companies uh, want to get involved with us, then um, by all means, send them over. Let's have a chat. And of course, lastly, come and see us if you can. If you're in the UK, check out the calendar. Come down the silo. We will look after you. All right. Thank you. Charlie, closing comments, and then we wrap the show. Well, yeah, Jason did an amazing job there. I think he covered everything. Um, but uh, I'd just like to say thank you so much for having us. Um, if anyone has anyone in their network we could talk to about helping my little bro get up there, fulfill his dreams in the bigger championship, um, it would be really, really appreciated. Um, at the moment, uh, the, you know, the Porsche Carrera Cup has actually mainly been self-funded by the team. Obviously, it's bear market. Uh, we believe in spreading the Bitcoin message. So that was a risk that we are really happy to take. But uh, we would love to 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 get the 2024 plans in place and um, really give some big value by getting creative with the marketing we do for both Bitcoin and um, any any companies that are happy to come and join us on this really cool journey. I think it's um, it, it proves to people that these companies are committed driving Bitcoin adoption and helping spread awareness. Um, so if there's anyone you can connect us with, it would it would be amazing. And um, thank you. As Jason said, just a like is also enough on a tweet or a retweet. That, that means a lot to us as well. And uh, thank you from the Bitcoin racing family. <laughs> I, I've got awesome. to mention one more thing, actually. Is anyone in London, if anyone's listening, they're in London on July the 27th. We're going to be actually the bit. Most of the Bitcoin racing team is going to be in London on that day at the F1 Arcade, and we're going to be running a Bitcoin-only event there. Um, uh, you know, uh, with uh, some of our partners. Um, so you know, uh, Bitcoin News, Bitcoin Collective, and Bitcoin Racing. Um, it's going to be a super fun event, and actually, you can race against the other team members in the F1 simulator. So that's July 27th. Just follow us on Twitter um, if you fancy coming along to that. We'd love to see you there. Awesome. Thanks, guys, for being here. Really do appreciate it. I, I, I admire what you guys are doing uh, to spread the word. That is definitely on the mission. Anything that we can do to help connect you with people, happy to do that, Andrew. Thanks for connecting us. That's it. That's the show. Uh, let's see. Tomorrow on Cafe Bitcoin, we've got a beginner's Q&A that we're going to be doing tonight. The very first episode of the Bitcoin Veterans Podcast is happening live, 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitter Spaces Myself, Shane Hazel, Gabe Lord, Mike Hobart, Operation Libertas, every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. Follow at Bitcoin Veterans for the show link. That's it. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news. Preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show. My crew, Ant, Peter, Sats for Life, Wicked, Producer Jacob. Really appreciate you guys. I'm your host, Alex Danzig. Work with Swan. Shoot me a DM if you want to know more. Thanks to the speakers today and every day who come on here and teach people about this bright orange future. This is what we talk. What, this is what we call getting on the mission. Love all you guys. Everybody go out there. Have a great day today and crush it.